Hello everyone, this is Mostly Essays. Welcome back. I am your host, Patta Vernon, and today we'll have a look at a collection of essays uh, described as being full of wit and disquiet. Uh, it's by Cheston Nepp, and it's called Up, Up, Down, Down, and it's described as a flittering collection of essays about nostalgia, skateboarding, fathers, water size, and all kinds of community and uh, that's a review by Leslie Jamison, author of the Empathy Empathy Exams. Joshua Ferris, author of Then We Came to the End, says, wow, offering up a steady supply of perfectly chosen words in precision guided sentences. Chest and nap will either break your heart or jolt your spine and quite possibly bring back some of us back to life. Author of the Book of Aaron, Jim Shepard, says, Cheston Neff's essays are exhilarating and funny and endlessly smart. He reminds us we are all caught up in one another's stories as he tracks one family's unraveling and another's genesis and points our way from fuss, fuss budget to enthusiast, from detachment to compassion and from regret to joy. This collection pierces a surface to get to the depths and then rises up from the depths to laugh on the surface. Nat performs some amazing alchemy in Up, Up, Down, Down by letting the two planes coexist so very beautifully. A little bit about Chester Nap. He's managing editor of the uh, journal magazine Tin House, a literary magazine. And this is his first book. It's hilarious, like... Uh, <clears throat> we said before from previous reviews, it's basically an, an, an analysis of nostalgia or nostalgic topics, uh, prevailing ideas about community mainly. And he presents us with formative experiences from his childhood to his marriage that echo throughout the collection. And ultimately, he tells us what may be the biggest question of them all, what are the hazards of becoming who you are? So uh, let's have a look at it, an excerpt from his uh, essay called Learning Curves, which begins with a quote from Jules Renard, a 19th century literary figure. The task of the writer is to learn how to write. I didn't know I would ever want to be a writer when at 17 I started to keep a journal. I remember in one entry I announced that I'm a cynic and a misanthrope, and then mere entries later I declare without a hint of self-irony or self-awareness that I'm a born people person. Reading back on some of these entries now gives me a sensation, something like when you put your hand up against another person's and massage the twinned middle fingers, a charge of the familiar and the utterly mysterious, this is and cannot be me. Jules Renard, a French novelist, poet and playwright, started keeping a journal too in 1887 when he was 23.
I discovered the journal at about the same age Renard began keeping it. I was 22 uh, and had just graduated college. Early on in his life, Renard writes, I'm convinced it is through observation that poetry must renew itself. And later, truth is not always art and art is not always truth, but truth and art have points of contact, which I'm seeking. He is everywhere concerned with truth in a way that feels charming and nostalgic now. But we still talk about a small truth, a small T-truth, how an image or thought can ring true. The journal brims with brilliant descriptions and aphorisms that do just that. Happy people have no right to be optimists. It is an insult to sorrow. Spiders draw planes of capital cities. I'm never bored anywhere. Being bored is an insult to oneself. He manages to restore flavor of mystery to things or feelings that, for many of us, time and familiarity have dulled and muted. He has this to say about his style. I always stop on the brink of what will not be true. And at their best and most economical, Renard's sentences give the illusion they've stood for all time, as though it was his phrasing that was used to forge whatever he's describing. I like to imagine him after writing one, perhaps reaching for a cigarette. Any good writer will achieve moments of small tea truth like Renard does in the journal. It's for such moments of recognition, the uncanny feeling that it is the writer who has read us, the most of us, that most of us read in the first place. But there was an aura of inevitability to his details, one that is demonstrated to me the powerful alchemy writers fiddle with. Coming to understand this power language wheels was for me a lot like falling in love with an old friend and a foundational shift in perception occurs. And this shift was scales from the eyes revelatory for a person who at the time was writing shit like, mm, then my shirt is off and then her pants are off and then my pants are off and mm, I'm feeling good. Like Renard, I think I continue. I continue to keep my journal because I'd like to learn how to be at home in the infinite ocean, to accept the fact that I can be just this one fish, even if it's not a gigantic whale shark or manti ray or humpback algar fish with its big teeth and bioluminescence, even if it's just a plain old tuna. I'd like evidence of a sort of a sort that time has gotten into me. Proof that experience has made and remade me and because before my own reckoning at some point in the hopefully distant future, I'd like to be able to look back at all my anguish and joy and sorrow and pain and everything about my infinitely small tune existence and be grateful for it. Looking back at his own journal, Renard had said, What surprises me is that I did not give more details. 
Today, my eye would have taken in everything. My apparatus is better. But you become aware that you have, after all, lived. And that is a natural, that is natural for life to pass and even for it to end. It's hard to imagine what more details he could have possibly have given. But what he acknowledges here is how deeply intertwined and inextricably even are his life and work. Like some double helix of his being. <laughs>